Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And this is week two of our First and Second Timothy series. And we're joined today by our new friend, Kelsey Hensey. Kelsey is the founder and editor-in-chief of Fathom Magazine. And Fathom is just a magazine that compels people to seek out the depths of the Christian faith, which sounds like such a big undertaking. But now having spoken with Kelsey, I can absolutely see that that is her passion. We read these chapters of First Timothy together, and Kelsey helped us just kind of excavate. We dug deeper and asked questions and learned more about God's Word, learned more about God, mm-hmm. and about the culture into which Paul was writing when he wrote this letter to Timothy. This conversation was really encouraging to us. We also learned a lot from one another, and I'm excited for you all to hear it. So let's get right to it. Kelsey Yancey, welcome to the Sheeries Truth Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. You know, you told us that you have been working on a new study that's out now, right? On First and Second Thessalonians. <laughs> yes. So two other letters from Paul that start with letter T. But today, that's right. <laughs> we are going to read some more of First and Second Timothy with you, and yeah. we're so we're so glad you accepted our invitation to discuss. Yeah, I'm so glad to do it. There is nothing intimidating or. Uh, tricky in these books at all. So don't worry about that. I mean, not at the Bible at all, really. <laughs> really? No, yeah. It? Yes. There's nothing offensive in Scripture. Yes. Is listener, a statement that am, is not true. Yeah. I am being sarcastic, <laughs> yeah. listener. Kelsey, um, it wouldn't just, be any fun if we didn't have to work for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Kelsey, what has it been like to spend the time that you've spent in Paul's letters? Because to do something like you've done, like that takes a lot of not just studying First and Second Thessalonians, but you know, the life of Paul and the early church. What's that been like? It's truly just refreshing. I think we see so many of Paul's quotes taken out of context or (laughs) just used on standing alone Mm -hmm. by themselves. And to get into a book or letters, both letters really, and then particularly his life, I know it's what you find as you read all of these books of the Bible all together is they just shed so much light one on the other. And then you feel like you start to get to know the person who wrote them, right? You're like, what else do I know about Paul and his heart for God and his people? That those things have really stood out to me as I wrote that First and Second Thessalonians study. Yeah. And I feel like the thing that happens when we really like kind of roll our sleeves up and dig into any of that like early church stuff, any of those, we like to call them Pauline epistles, if we're feeling fancy on a fancy day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when we dig into those, one of the first things that you find is like how important context is, how much context matters. Yeah. Even in these books or these chapters we'll read today, a couple things are so familiar and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that's where it was. Exactly. Uh, I love finding those pieces and starting to understand the Word of God the way it was intended for us to hear it. That's right. Yeah. So, Kelsey, you are good friends with our friend Jen Wilkin. And you know Jen yes. on like a you know on a deeper, more personal level than we do, but we we know and admire her, and she's been on the podcast a few times. But something that she taught us, like a phrasing that we still use, that she taught us is that scripture was for them then and for us now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's hers, yes. if she, but 
but we have adopted it and it has been so helpful. And there were times where I wrote in the margins as I was reading First and Second Timothy for them that like first mm-hmm. this was for them then. Yeah. And mm, that was its first good. application. And so I'm really thankful for the way that fellow students of the Bible yeah. teach us ways to to read, to handle Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Jen Wilkins just the best at that, really. And even she like, really is. especially in the case of the letters like first and second Timothy, because you could even back it up one step further and go for him then. Like it was oh. written to one this is not a like a letter to a church. This is a letter to yeah. an individual person that was then shared, that was mm-hmm. then shared with us. And it was about a, yes. a local church body. Yes. And had in what we talked about last week is that we know that there are some very specific instructions in these letters, especially the first one, mm-hmm. that were addressing specific situations that were true at the time yeah. or specific realities of just their culture mm-hmm. and society um, yeah. that these new believers, these, yeah. was, these were new believers who were learning what it looks like to live out a faith in the gospel mm-hmm. and how to identify yeah, and they what were is realities, the gospel. And they were realities that Paul knew really well, yeah. right? He yeah. had spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He wasn't That's right. just hearing through Timothy or a letter from someone else who had been there. He spent two stints, according to Acts, yeah. in Ephesus. And the second one was long. He was there for years. Mm. He said he left the people he loved, his heart people, yeah. he left in <laughs> Ephesus. And so he was familiar with the ongoings of that place. Yeah. So this letter, it's as much to Timothy as it is an exposition on what Paul knows yeah. about the city and the circumstance that this person he loves is in. Yeah. It's so interesting to kind of realize as we're talking about this, that really, and tell me if I'm wrong, I, I'm so open to being wrong. I think that these are the only three personal letters in Scripture. Is that correct? Which three? Uh, First, First and Second Timothy, Timothy and Titus. Titus. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but like that audience yeah. is so narrow. And then, you know, like you said, that it's about Ephesus. It's so, so specific where when we talk about context in the New Testament and context in Scripture, it would be wrong both to go, well, that's only about Timothy and Ephesus. And it's also wrong to say it's mostly about us. So I'm thinking about your statement, and I think that it is almost true. Teach me how I teach me because I think they're the only three that were written to individual pastors. Oh, um, because think about Philemon. You're right. Written to mm. Onesimus, and to, so Amanda so, for the Bible literacy win. Now I'm trying to think That's if right. there are more or Luke and Acts. Yeah, written specifically. Oh wait, because my, my dear mo- Theophilus, most honorable Theophilus. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah, most honorable. Excuse me. Yeah. Sorry, Theophilus. Get it right, Amanda. <laughs> right. Come on. All right. So, yeah. Get those letters behind the name. That's true. Okay. Well, I think we should dig in. We left off, we read through chapter four. That's right. Last week. So, we're picking up 1 Timothy chapter five, verse one. Kelsey, you want to start us off? So, start with one and read through. Yeah. If you want to take us through eight, then we'll pause and keep talking. Perfect. Sounds great. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and her prayers. 
However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also, so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is a convicting last sentence that you just read. I was about to say, what a place to stop. Ooh. Yeah. There's a little bit of a mic drop. He has a few of those. Oh, yeah. This just a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a couple. I love that imagery in, in five, verse five, the widow who isn't truly in need. So he's defining that by like she doesn't have family to care for her and left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. You know who that makes me think of? The Levites. Like, you know how, like, when God was, like, like distributing all the land allotments, and he said, but the Levites, they don't get land because their inheritance is the Lord. It's the Lord. Her inheritance is the Lord. Yeah, it's interesting. That is. Yeah, it is. I don't know if there's anything Um, there, but interesting. We probably all have people, too, that come to mind. Mm -hmm. Because while we know this is for them then, we just can't help <laughs> but think about current context. Absolutely. And so we're going to try to work through some of those tensions live. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to do our best to do that well. Um, yeah. But, but And it kind of gives us a little bit of a hint right there that, at the beginning yes. of the full context when we talks about older men and younger men and older women and younger women. And we have this picture of the family of God. That's right. What does the church look like? It is the family of God. It's all the people. Um, and you, yes, you almost see that theme in this book in First Timothy. And so we can ask these questions of what does our family of God look like? What yeah. circumstances arise with the church mothers and the church sisters and brothers and fathers of our own congregations, our own family? That's right. I looked in verse one, even I noticed that language of rebuke and exhort are similar but distinctly different mm-hmm. in the way that we handle one another. And, you know, for him to start chapter 5, I understand that the chapters are not canonical, but for him to begin this part of the letter saying, don't rebuke them, exhort them, like mm-hmm. care for them, advise them earnestly, urge them, it's just such a be like Christ. Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah, and Paul's putting that in practice right here in these verses, yeah. right? He's going to go on to exhort Timothy to exactly what mm-hmm. he should be doing in his circumstance in Ephesus. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. an example of the instruction just built right in. Exactly. And for Paul, who gets sort of a bad rap for being an aggressive fellow in his language, I love that straight he's forward. going— Yeah, I love that he's going straightforward, not aggressive. Thank you. I love that he's saying to his son in the faith, to Timothy, this is how to mm-hmm. care well. Yeah. And he gets specific here as we keep going in verse Mm -hmm. 9. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work but refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened. 
so that it can help widows in genuine need. There's so much there. There's a lot there. I probably should have talked about five times. (laughs) Um, But we have to... We have to dig in and think, okay, what was he saying to them then? So I feel like when we look at this whole passage, there's some really interesting things at play here. Mm -hmm. Some of the top scholars of our day are pointing us to this idea of how words are used in context, which we do all the time, and how there is a circumstance of being a widow and that there was also a, most likely a office of widow in the church. And we look at even church fathers like Tertullian, who called it the order of the widow, hmm. and how we take care of people whose circumstance is a widow, which would be a woman whose husband has died, or a woman who is never married, like a I think one of the technical translations that I read said an unmanned woman. Unmanned uh, woman. Oh, that's, that's an Don't unfortunate. That. that was like, oh, <laughs> but but I get where you're going. Okay, right? all right. <laughs> Single or no Try longer not to get married. Bogged down I got it. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it would be a circumstance of widowhood, and in this spot in Ephesus, this was a problem. There were quite a few women who were on their own. In a world that didn't support women who were on their own, right. it made it really yeah. difficult for them to move around society, which caused a genuine place for the church to care for yeah. those in need. And so I think that he, Paul, knowing Ephesus so well, is addressing a problem that Timothy has, that the city was known for like raising up the idea of even don't get married. And some of the people coming out of the cults and into Christianity there would have been in cults that had said we don't get married. We don't do this, right? And so he has all these people have to be taken care of. And at the first part, he's saying, man, those people who don't have any support system, let's do it. Let's be it. Jump in. Let's be the support system. Yeah, which is pretty and, radical. But if we have a family right? who can do it, do it too. And I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think both of those things are radical. I agree. Calling the natural family to be the support where needed and calling the church to be the family of God where needed would have been a radical thing to do. It would have been uh, calling them into the mission of God to show what it looks like for Christ's likeness to rule on his people. Yeah. So is what you said. beautiful, Kelsey. It is. And it's what you just said about marriage that provides further context for me on one of the verses or phrases that kind of makes me bristle in my 2022 chair where it says that I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households. You know, it just is like, oh, goodness. Like, this is, yeah. It, you know, because we in our 2022 seat mm-hmm. will go, that is such a narrow view right. of biblical womanhood, as to throw a phrase. We have that so we many like friends who are single women and are incredible and complete as that's individual right. yes. single women. That's right. Yeah. Um, totally. And that's definitely, I don't think what Paul's saying. Exactly. Right? He's not yeah. Saying, And actually, we know it's not what he's saying, because like you said at the very beginning, we're talking about a letter written to Timothy in a certain time, at a certain place, in certain circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? This is why we handle Scripture the way that we do. Instead of going, well, here's what I think, and I've located this verse to support my theory, right? I'm going, well, Mm -hmm. here Paul says 
you know, definitely don't get married. Or here, Paul says, definitely do get married. Instead, like that's kind of asking Scripture to serve us and finding verses to prove our own Mm -hmm. opinions or theories. Instead— Which we'll get into next week. (laughs) (laughs) We pick the whole Bible up, and we hold it over our heads, and we say, this whole thing is the authority over me, and, and it matters to me to know it, and that it is the thing that informs my whole mind. That I serve it, it does not serve me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why, that's why we read the whole Bible, Kelsey. Like, that's why we, yeah. so we can know, oh, this is what Paul said to Corinth. This is what mm-hmm. Paul said to Ephesus. Those are two totally different things. And here's why. And this is how this informs how I live. Yeah. Yeah. And what a relief it is that wisdom often just requires contextualization. Yeah. That I, in a place where I can learn from God's word and utilize it rightly, depending on what's going on in the world around me mm-hmm. and That's in right. my life. And that is actually freedom. It makes it not burdensome. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yes. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say about this widow's passage is he has given two pretty significant paragraphs to caring for marginalized women who need care. In a countercultural way. Mm-hmm. Yes, in a countercultural way. Yeah. And it makes me want to read aloud this verse from James that you all will read today if you're listening to this on Monday. James one twenty seven, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. But that just that glimpse into the heart of mm-hmm. of the Father is well, beautiful. Well, and just that's not all of Scripture. There's so much of Scripture so speaks much. to orphans and widows and just the caring for the yeah. marginalized. Even again in day eight's reading, we'll read the story of Ruth, mm-hmm. or y'all listening are going to read it today, hopefully. Yeah. Not to mention the Gospels care for the marginalized. All I mean, Jesus was. Yeah. All about it. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to spend a day with Absolutely. Jesus without seeing him care for the marginalized. That's right. All right, Rachel, it's your turn. You get to read for us now. Let's do First it. First Timothy 5, starting in 17. Let's read. Honoring the elders. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. I think that's from Deuteronomy. Is that right? It is. We'll read it We'll get it today. Great. Then verse 19, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. I feel like every time we finish reading, we go, there's so much there. There's so much, like so many times I want to go, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Or, ah, oh, or <laughs> right? something, you know, like elect angels? That's right. Ah, what is that? We don't have time. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. It's, I don't know what that is. so much. Obviously, we need an Instagram share image that says, use a little wine, because... Of your stomach and frequent illnesses. <laughs> because of your stomach and frequent illnesses. It's such um, a funny little side note because it literally is Paul saying to Timothy, hey, I know about this for you. Here's a, a, a note of care. A note of care. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Take care mm-hmm. of your body. Yeah. 
It's so interesting that the one that you pointed out, Rachel, as you were reading, the do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out yeah. the grain. And I did not know this, but in the the notes we used it's to study, just pointed out that just in caring, it's not just a theoretical honoring of those who are caring for the flock, so to speak, right. and for and taking care of the congregation. It is also a supporting, like a financial support. So don't muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. Like let him that means to let him eat the grass. Like let him also and so let him benefit from the work yes, that he's doing. So they should you need to pay these people yeah. is what he's saying. You know, mm-hmm. like they need financial support. Yeah. And especially so because of this work that they're doing, yeah. this kingdom work that they're doing. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It really is. And if you take the idea of widow as an office, it corresponds to that earlier verse where it says mm. to support them or that word being honor them. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, if you have the office of widow, this is a paid work, right? And he says, particularly put the qualified women in place for that paid work, a paid vocational ministry mm-hmm. who don't have a family to care for them, right? So it's like another paying for their legitimate vocational work was a way of caring for them mm-hmm. in the same yeah. way with these elders. Right. It could be a way for caring for them yeah. right? that the work that the family of God does for the people of God mm-hmm. is worthy of recognition in so many ways. That's right. Right. And is a form of care. Mm, that's true. And verses 24 and 25, I love them so much because they read almost like Proverbs. It really does, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'll read them again. It says, Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. It's so, it feels so. Mm-hmm. It does. Proverbial. Mm-hmm. One of the verses that I didn't like when I read it, mm-hmm. <laughs> can I be that honest? And had to like reread again, but. 20, like publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. And I'm like, okay, what's getting lost in translation here? Right. And I have to remember, it's like in the previous chapter that we just read, where it was saying like about widows that some have, how was it? Some have already turned away to follow Satan. And so what I have to remember here, what helps me to remember here is that we're talking about in the church and then the opposing force of the church, which yes. we know from our Armor of God study That's right. is, is the devil's job yeah. to oppose the church, right? Like he is mm, the, the, yeah. it, the actual enemy. And so if what we want them to be afraid of is not of us in the church, like I'm, I'm speaking from Paul's posture now, like it's not to be afraid of you, Timothy. It's to be afraid, I would say, if I can extrapolate here, of the consequence of their actions, of the natural consequences of not following yeah. the Lord and the values of the gospel. So there are some things like that that I have to read, and they hit my 2022 ears, mm-hmm. and then I have to go, but okay, but hold on. Right. And it's, yeah. it is very hard, even as someone who whose job in part it is to encourage others you know, I try to rightly read the word of truth and I try to encourage others to do the same. It is still my default to go like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, but then I'm like, I am sorry, mm-hmm. Lord, and let me read that again. Yeah. And look look for you in and there. Sometimes That's that right. reaction is so helpful to us yeah. because it shows us where to ask good questions. That's, That's good. exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And there's so many times where I think I can be and I think mm-hmm. people in general can be afraid to ask things of God of his word, right? 
like, I trust you. I promise I trust you. And so I don't have any questions, but actually a question helps me know and understand God and his word better. Mm -hmm. So if I read that so that the rest will be afraid, like, what's my question? It's like, oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. And for what purpose? To what end? I think y'all read Deuteronomy recently, correct? Is then like in 2021, did I read through Deuteronomy? Yes, yes, we did. Man, time. Time is a tough thing to think about. In the Bible every day, it's hard to remember it all. Um, Thank you for remembering, Kelsey. Uh Uh (laughs) Well, I read through it recently too. And when I read that, I wrote, this sounds like Deuteronomy to me. I'm like, there's something in here that sounds like Deuteronomy. And I went back and looked it up and it was the phrasing from Deuteronomy 19. And it answered some of my questions. Yeah. It was like, what are they to be afraid of? And in Deuteronomy 19, it tells us they were to be afraid of the consequences of their sin. It was for them to take sin so seriously. Mm-hmm. And Paul takes his call telling Timothy that very seriously. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. Yeah. Right. I just told you to get two or three witnesses. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call three divine ones yeah. to you right now. He says, don't be afraid of what I'm telling you, right? Mm-hmm. Take the charge that you do have to publicly rebuke, not just for the good of the person, but for the good of the people around them. The word of God in general and I think Paul, particularly when he writes about the sins of leaders, he is, he does not joke around, yeah, right? No. He understands that the leadership in the church really commands a certain respect from the family of God. Mm-hmm. And as it should, right? Mm-hmm. They just told us, give them a double honor yeah. for the work that they do, right? We should respect them. And when that respect is not utilized correctly, God is not going to brush it off. He's going to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And Paul wants Timothy to do the same thing, yeah. right? You're guarding the church as part of your responsibility. I love many of the things that you just said. Two things that make me really grateful to have you as a guest, Kelsey. Number one, I love that you just said, you know, if our purpose is to, like our purpose in reading scripture, one of them is to understand God, then when we see something that doesn't make sense to us, we ask questions to seek understanding so that we can know him more. And I love the question that you asked, why? Like with that verse 20, so that the rest will be afraid. Well, why? And that's where you get to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Like we we just like chased mm-hmm. something that we felt like we should turn away from, but instead of like we're looking hard at it, we found the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. other thing that you pointed out, which I appreciate, is when we're talking about verse 17, that those that are considered worthy should be receiving a double honor. And I love kind of thinking about that in the context, and then again, bringing this to 2022 and in the context of... Which is allowed, by the way. Yeah, 100%. We would just want to do that with... <laughs> With the understanding of the original context. Yeah, yeah. And so bringing that here and going, how am I honoring the people who are giving their lives to preaching and teaching and and rightly handling the word of truth in order to care for and shepherd me? Like, what am I doing to honor them? Or what Mm -hmm. are we as the capital C church? How are we honoring or giving double honor to those Mm -hmm. who are rightly preaching and teaching us? Mm-hmm. Are you asking us? I don't know. Just more. It was like a rhetorical. But if you had a thought, you were. It was welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it makes it's, it's an a good intros- reflective. Question. Yeah, it's an introspective question. It yeah. makes me think. Okay, what am I doing? Yeah. And the second part of that question is, what could I be doing? Yeah, I think that's um, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes on in chapter six. We're going to pivot now to. It's not a pivot. We're going to keep going. Um, in chapter six. <laughs> 
The title of this section is called Honoring Masters. We're only reading the first two verses of chapter 6, but it's again, it's talking about as believers how to honor one another in what was their current, the realities of their society. And so this is how it reads, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and His teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Teach and encourage these things. So there are some things we know about the word slave is used here that, again, our 2022 selves have in in American selves have a an immediate cultural context in our not so distant past for that, right? Yeah. yeah. And that is not the same yes. context. Mm-hmm. And we actually had a really beautiful conversation about the context of slavery in the New Testament with our friend Christy Anubile when she yes, was our guest did. for yeah. Philemon, for the Philemon uh-huh. study. Which yeah. I actually will link that in the show notes yeah. because she had so many sweet, beautiful, wise things to say. She really, in really that did. Episode. Man, I love Christy. She is mm-hmm. a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. That <laughs> she's woman, a highlight. Um, Absolutely. She's a highlight. She is a person to follow and to listen to. Mm-hmm. She has a new book out too that is. She amazing. does on biblical that, genres. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh she's we're so linking fantastic. that too. Mm-hmm. The things that she says do bring us a lot of clarity, that there is a lot of difference between Mm -hmm. what we saw in American history and what we see in these verses, but also there's a tie that binds. And the people who are being mentioned here in 1 Timothy 6, they have no choice but to be slaves. They do have masters and It's possible for them to earn their freedom, but they are owned people. And God's intention for humanity is never that it is owned. Amen. And so when we look at these verses, we can know that while the social realities that were at work there, that slavery were never okay, that Paul isn't sanctioning the ownership of human lives. What Paul is advocating for is for us to lean into Christ-likeness regardless of our circumstances. And these slaves' circumstances, were not only unideal, they were unchristlike. Mm-hmm. But they had a chance to show what Christ was like to either unbelieving masters or to exhibit their love for God alongside a believing master, right. which is a whole other topic that we don't have to address right now. Yeah. But yeah. I think that the main idea is that within these social realities, they could lean into the mission of God. They could show what it looked like for Christ's kingdom to break into the world right now from the place they were at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even here, you are members of God's household. You yes. Know, like, and this is, and in some cases, you're right, these were brothers and sisters yeah. in the faith. Yeah. I mean, um, and even in this verse, it's so interesting how Paul. He levels the playing field, right? Where the social hierarchy that's right. uh, would have been an incredibly steep slope. Yeah. But in this world, what Matthew tells us, we have this upside down kingdom of God. Paul displays that here for mm-hmm. us when he says, let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers. Mm-hmm. Brothers would not have been a term the society used one for the other when you're talking about no. the situation. Yeah. He levels the playing field. 
And even up there where he says, you should regard your own master, right? He's like, you are not a slave to society, your own master. He limits the field there. And even when he goes down to the bottom and he says, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved, he places Mm -hmm. the slave in the position of the benefactor instead of the beneficiary. He's saying, you are doing something for someone else who needs you, not you are needed for someone else's good. I think he infuses into these verses in ways that are not very clear to us from the outset, a dignity that would be easy to lose if we don't work hard to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for helping us, Kelsey. This is one of the things I love about these conversations that we get to have often with new friends. This is our first conversation together, right? (laughs) Yeah. And and so to to open to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and dig into that together. I'm so grateful for God's Word, for the Holy Spirit, for the Capital C Church, Mm -hmm. and the opportunity for us to learn from each other and alongside one another. I learned from you today, and I'm grateful. Always learning. Um, We do have a couple. Oh, my. Do we have three more days? Let's keep going. (laughs) We're still in 1 Timothy chapter (laughs) 6. And on this day, this will be Wednesday, we'll read 3 through 10. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant disagreement. Among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Thank you for reading. You have that. me ending on just beautiful parts of the passage. I know, every right? Time. You're, you're so welcome. We're, you're welcome as she reads truth. We um, Paul has a way with words, doesn't he? He does. This is so painfully direct. Yeah. Yeah, I can just, mm-hmm. I was like, as Kelsey was reading, I was just picturing him. I, I have a picture of what Paul looks like. It's fine. In my mind, I was picturing him <laughs> writing this, and he was writing it like fast and with clarity. Just he was, he knew yeah. what he wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. And at the level, the playing field, I think he does that here too in a different different circumstance, but similar way. The like, Oh, this isn't just so you read this. We might read this at first blush and go, Oh, okay. So this is directed to rich people. Oh, oh, wait a minute. It also says those who want to be rich. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it talks about loving money. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have money to love money. Yep. And yeah. And then this is a, this is a frequently misquoted, I think, verse where like that. Money is the root of all evil right. is a is a way that it is misquoted. It's actually the love of mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. is and the CSB says is is a root of mm-hmm. all kinds of evil. Yeah. By craving it, some have wandered yep. away. Mm. It is so interesting how he talks about those things. That yeah. word craving is 
it's such a descriptive word. It is. I don't know how y'all felt about that word when you read it. Craving. But it was like um, that. Just the vocabulary of it gave me a picture of what it looks like to feel that love yeah. of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of not just display it, but like in my heart and in my person, I know what it's like to crave something, to want something so badly that I'll do almost anything to have it. Mm-hmm. And here, the things that they're doing to have it are clearly problems. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We know that one of the themes are like a broad theme of really both of these letters is that of sound doctrine and correcting, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, he's writing to Timothy and going, a a problem that Ephesus is facing is a bunch of people wanting a platform and wanting to teach Mm -hmm. whether they actually know what is true or not. Sometimes they're teaching what they think and hope is true, and sometimes they're intentionally misleading. Those earlier verses that, that you just read, you know, that people that do not agree with sound teaching or have an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. They come from envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. And then he follows that with, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's that transition yeah. line. But everything kind of before yeah. that, I think, like, sniff this out, look for it, be aware of these are some of the markers of false doctrine. But then he transitions it with that godliness with contentment is the great gain. Mm-hmm. It's like in this first part, he is telling Timothy that wisdom requires some form of watchfulness, Yeah, that you will have to pay attention to the character of the people mm-hmm. around you. If you were going to help solve the problem that is a clear problem for Timothy in Ephesus, a false teaching. I mean, you you will have to pay attention, not just to what is being said at first, right? Not just the, some people's sins will come out later. Pay attention. That's right. And um, this is what a, yeah. a character looks like that is conceited, which is another incredible vocabulary word. He's just describing these people who are consumed with love of their own self mm-hmm. and not of love of God. Mm-hmm. And we are always looking for a heart that loves God. We want to cultivate a heart that loves God. And we want to see people lead in our churches who love God. Exactly um, and he keeps calling Timothy to that sort of watchfulness for those things. Yeah. And I love how you pointed out the communal aspect that he gives here. It's causing communal problems, right? We don't sin on our own, Mm -hmm. particularly Mm -hmm. from a spot of leadership, but anyone. We all Mm -hmm. of our sin have ripple consequences Mm -hmm. to the people around us. And we see it here. Envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement. Those are all family of God problems. They aren't just problems (laughs) for the person doing them. They're problems for the community. And we started out, 1 Timothy 5, he gave us that description of the household. He told us all five Mm -hmm. people to pay attention to, or all four categories of people to pay attention to. And we see here that these false teachers are disunifying. They're tearing apart and tearing down the household of God. They're not bringing together and building up the household of God. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you throwing it back to chapter five and reminding us what he said, that like sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not, but it always comes to light. Like it always becomes clear. Mm -hmm. And the watchfulness is not, when I read those verses about greed and wealth and riches and contentment, the watchfulness is is around us. It's also very much within us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. For sure. Thing. And that theme of watchfulness, I think I, I see that thread continuing in chapter 6 when we turn the page to Thursday's reading, starting in verse 11. But you, man of God, 
So he's, he's addressing Timothy again. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, mm-hmm. godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in His own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Amen. Feels like the end of a chapter, but it's not. But it's not. Feels he'll, like he'll, it's do, right. he'll do a little benediction and then keep going. He will. Yeah. He will. It's, yeah. It's very Paul of him. It I is. love I this is that I charge you. It feels mm-hmm. so like we said earlier in this episode, so to him then first. Like he's talking to Timothy and going, Timothy, comma. Yes. I charge you. Right. Keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of like it's just beautiful. And then we of course go broader, but I I just think about Timothy reading this yeah. personal letter. And that it follows mm-hmm. talking about material gain yes, and saying, yeah. but you flee from this. Don't pursue that. Pursue these things. Yeah. That pursuit that that I just addressed, that is a short-sighted pursuit. Yeah. Pursue this one. Pursue yeah. this. And then he finishes yep. the letter in this day 11 that you guys will read on Thursday with this like warning against self-sufficiency. The heading is instructions to the rich, but it's really this warning <laughs> against self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age. And I love that caveat in the present age because we know that wealth has nothing to do with money. <laughs> There's a richness mm. so much bigger than that. But instruct those who are rich temporarily. <laughs> Not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. And then his concluding section, Timothy, comma, true Timothy, comma here. Mm -hmm. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul. So good. It really is. I, as you were reading that, I was feeling so keenly the tension or really the contrast that he's putting up between the character of God and what God gives mm. in the what happens to the people who pursue money where he talks about people plunge into ruin and destruction Mm. back in verse nine Mm -hmm. because of the love of money. I mean, who wants ruin and destruction? No one, right? Like no one was at there. Like I would really like to just be completely demolished today. Right. Nobody is setting out for the end that Paul is promising here. They want what ease and comfort, but they've been tempted to believe that they'll find those things in money. But we have a God who tells us right here that he is a God of generosity. 
mm-hmm. who richly provides for us with all things to enjoy, mm. right? Not just spiritual things, but of course those things, but also in life, we have a generous provider. And it makes me think of a God who has told us his burden is light. We see in this love of money, the possibility for something that God actually already promises us. Paul reminds Timothy that God has already promised him those things right here in mm-hmm. these verses. There's no reason for you to chase money. You can you can forget it. You can chase after God instead because he's going to provide the things for you that these people think they're going to find there. But you know better. Yeah. You yeah. know better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much here. I mean, how many times are we going to say it this hour? But it's true mm. that, you know, it it's still, even though we thought, oh, these passages are shorter, we'll read them all, it still is true that we could take a little paragraph and dig together. And spend an hour. And, uh-huh, Easy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and ask ask questions and, you know, learn with one another. I think, Rachel, that we should maybe stop. This is very atypical. This is very atypical. So what's going to happen, you all, as you're reading this week you're going to read the first chapter of 2 Timothy on Friday. But I think what we'll do is stop here. Yeah. Still read. I'm game. The first chapter of 2 Timothy on Friday mm-hmm. and get a head start on our podcasting for next week on that conversation yeah. for next week. And we'll pick up there because it really does take a different tone. Mm-hmm. Um, how did do you find that as well? I see you nodding your head, Kelsey. Yeah, absolutely. It totally takes a different tone. The It's a letter with a completely different purpose, and even the language that Paul uses is so different. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Second Timothy was written five years later, so we get a little gap in time. You guys will wait a week. Uh, instead of five years, um, but for those of you, you who, can do it. Yeah, you can do it. For those of you with a study book in your hands, you will have the benefit of that introduction to Second Timothy on Fridays. So you'll be able to read that as well, and then you can pick up with us next week. And surprise, it will be all hosts, no guests next week. What? The Rachel and Amanda special. We are we love Second Timothy. A debate. Yeah. On Second Timothy. No, not at all. We not love all. this book so much. And Don't we were like, up. oh, what if we just got to take the episode, just the two of us? Yeah. The truth is, and this is a bit of a spoiler because we haven't had that conversation yet, obviously, but I know it will come up, is that that book, that little letter, yeah. has been super meaningful and impactful mm-hmm. for us. And especially yeah. in the work we do here at She Reads Truth. Yeah. So Tune in next time, and we'll (laughs) dig in there. But before we wrap, I actually, we don't always get to do beauty, goodness, and truth, but I want to take the time to do that this week because, Kelsey, first of all, you were a fantastic guest. You were the girl for this job. Thank you so much. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was so fun. I love being co-learners. Yes, yes. Well, and that honestly leads me to my question because I know you are the editor-in-chief of Fathom Magazine, and what you mm-hmm. what you do there is you just really put a huge value on Christian curiosity. And I think what I know of Fathom Magazine is that you do a thing that we like to talk about here, which is find beauty, goodness, and truth in the world— and mm-hmm. and ask, how does that point me to Jesus? And so the, yeah. the classic question that we ask at the end of the Serious Truth podcast is, Kelsey, we have spent an hour reading Scripture and finding the beauty, goodness, and truth there. Where in your life are you seeing beauty, goodness, and truth? 
I love that question so much. Shouldn't we just ask ourselves that every day? Every day. That's great. Mm -hmm. I think today, even this morning, I woke up so grateful for some time with some friends last night. Mm. Uh, God has given us a household of faith, a family of God. And I got to sit around a table and talk about the hard things, the good things, we said a, a goodbye to a friend. We celebrated a birthday of another and we got to just speak words of life and we got to be the encourager and man, people just encouraging me and hearing things in my life as I spoke to them. But man, those friendships that God has given mm. us, the brothers and sisters that we have are a place that I constantly see God speaking to me and showing me how beautiful and good and lovely he is. And uh, so I think that that would be my spot for right now. Oh, I love that. That's such a good answer. All right, friends, thanks for hanging with us for week two of the First and Second Timothy series. Kelsey, again, thank you for being such a fantastic guest. Next week. Thank y'all for having me. (laughs) Next week, Amanda and I will be joined by no one as we (laughs) read the book of Second Timothy with you all. Well, hopefully joined by you. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Ideally, you guys would be listening. (laughs) That's a great point. Thank you. Yes. Joined by many of you. But Kelsey, until next week, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Mm